So we are in the Christmas season. And this is the time when followers of Jesus all over the world rejoice in Jesus' birth. But at the same time, if we're honest, we'll admit that we're not always feeling that joy, right? Busyness of the Christmas season can make us frustrated. We can start to feel hopeless as we look at so much oppression and injustice in the world around us. We can grieve over the fact that loved ones live far away from Abu Dhabi and we miss them. Lots of reasons that we can not be experiencing much joy. But what I want to show you from the scriptures today is that Jesus Christ can give us a joy in this season, Christmas season, and in any season of our lives. He can give us such a joy that the frustration of busyness is eased, that the hopelessness of looking at injustice and oppression is replaced by hope and confidence of what God's going to do ultimately, and that the the grief and the sorrow of missing loved ones is deeply comforted. And I'm praying that this morning God will give many of us that joy here and that that'll be growing in our hearts as we move ahead through this Christmas season. So let's turn to Luke chapter one. We're going through a series on what Luke teaches us as he leads up to Jesus' birth. And last week, we saw that the angel Gabriel comes and tells Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth is going to give birth to the one prophesied in the Old Testament who would prepare the way for the Messiah, which means that the Messiah is just about to come. Then, when Elizabeth is six months pregnant with, and that's, we're talking about John the Baptist there, when Elizabeth is six months into her pregnancy, the angel Gabriel tells a young teenage girl, a virgin girl, Mary, that she is going to give birth to the Messiah. God in the flesh, who is being sent by God to be punished in the place, in our place for our sins so that we could be forgiven as we trust him. So then, in today's passage, we're gonna see pregnant Mary, young teenage virgin girl, pregnant Mary, traveling 120 kilometers south from Nazareth down to Jerusalem to pregnant Elizabeth. And we're gonna see their meeting together. So let's start in verses 39 to 47 and ask, and I struggled to how to make this grammatically correct. I'm still not sure it's there, but bear with me. The best I could do, how do baby John, Elizabeth, and Mary all respond to Jesus? And what we're gonna see is that Luke shows us, he goes out of his way to show us that they each respond to Jesus with joy. First of all, verses 39 to 41, the baby John responds with joy. Look at this. Verse 39, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Now, why did John, who's in Elizabeth's womb, six months developed, why did John leap And the reason is given a few verses later, verse 44. Look at what Elizabeth says. She's talking to Mary. 
For behold, when the sound of your Mary's greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So somehow, baby John, who's six months developed, still in the womb, when baby John knew, and somehow he knew that this was the Messiah, Jesus, had come into the room in the womb of Mary, little baby John leaped for joy, just excitement. The Messiah's here. The Son of God is here. As much as a six-month developed baby can understand all of that. I don't know how that works, but that's what happens. So we see the baby John responding to Jesus with joy. Then the same with Elizabeth in the second half of verse 41 through verse 44. Now, the word joy is not mentioned by Luke, but see if you don't agree, I hope you agree, that Luke's describing a response of joy here. Verse 41, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud voice, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So the word joy isn't used there for Elizabeth, but can you see that her response is one of joy? She's filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 41, and the Holy Spirit gives us joy in Christ. Verse 42, she exclaims with this loud cry, blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the Messiah, the fruit of your womb. That sounds like joy, doesn't it? And then in verse 43, she asks, why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She knows that the baby in Mary's womb is her Lord, Jesus, the Messiah, fully man and fully God. And she asks, why was this privilege of being in the presence of the Messiah in Mary's womb, why was this privilege given to me? Her response is one of joy. So John responds with joy. Elizabeth responds with joy. How about Mary? Does she respond with joy? Yes. Verses 45 through 47. Elizabeth says, and blessed, and that's the word joyful, is she, speaking of Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices, there it is, in God my Savior. So do you see what Luke's emphasizing in these verses? Baby John responds to Jesus, leaping for joy. Elizabeth responds to Jesus, full of joy. Mary responds to Jesus, magnifying and rejoicing in him. And so Luke wants us to understand that Jesus gives joy, but not just to the baby John and to Elizabeth and Mary. Luke wants us to understand one of the themes of his description of Jesus' birth is that Jesus will give joy to everyone who will receive him. And we can see that jumping ahead to chapter 2, verse 10. Look at what the angel says to shepherds out in the field the night of Jesus' birth. Verses 10 and 11. How am I doing here? Okay. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Here's why. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So the joy of Jesus isn't just for baby John and Elizabeth and Mary. The joy of Jesus is for all people. It's for you. It's for me. It's for everyone in Abu Dhabi, the UAE, the Middle East, who will receive it. This joy is for all of us. Now, there's lots of misunderstandings about what the Bible means regarding joy. Joy is a theme throughout the Bible and lots of misconceptions about it. And so the next question I wanted to ask, and I looked at this passage, is what does Luke teach us about this joy? And, and I saw that Luke gives us four truths about this joy. So let's ask, what exactly is this joy? And I found four truths in verses 39 through 47. See if you agree with these, I wanna show you from the text. First of all, the joy that Jesus gives is a feeling of delight and happiness. Now the reason I say that is because Luke uses two Greek words, both translated joy, and that's what those words mean, a feeling of delight and happiness. For example, verse 44, first place he uses joy, he says, um, Elizabeth says, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now that word joy is the Greek word hagaliasis, and the Greek dictionaries say it means a feeling of great happiness, exultation, exuberant joy. Don't you love that? That's some joy going on there. And the second word is found in chapter 2, verse 10, which I just read. This is the angels to the shepherds, the angels said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, different Greek word, that will be for all the people. So here, the Greek word is kara, and the Greek dictionaries say it's a feeling of inner happiness, rejoicing, or delight. So those are very similar, right? Not a big difference between them. So I just summarize that as the joy that Jesus gives is a feeling of delight and happiness. Now, just some clarification here. We, let me say, that joy is not always in our hearts, right? <laughs> it's not always in our hearts. We want it a lot more. Um, and we don't live on the basis of feelings, right? Feelings are up, feelings are down. When you're not feeling this joy, doesn't mean Jesus is no longer true. Jesus is always true. The word of God is always true. Feelings are up and down, but the joy that Jesus gives is a feeling of delight and happiness. That's the first truth. Let that stretch you a little bit. Some people have said that there's a difference between happiness and joy. I don't see that in the Bible. Um, but this next truth is crucial because that's maybe what they're talking about when they try to make a distinction. Second, the joy that Jesus gives is not joy in circumstances, but in Jesus himself. So crucial to understand. We could think that Elizabeth's joy, I mean, who wouldn't be happy? She's, she's past childbearing years, has never had a child, and now she's pregnant. She and Zechariah got pregnant, and not only did she get pregnant, but she's going to give birth to the one who's gonna prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. So we could think, well, of course Elizabeth's gonna be rejoicing in that. And she did rejoice in that. But that's not mostly what she's rejoicing in. Because look at what she says in verse 43. 
And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She's not focused on what's happening in her womb. She's focusing on who is in Mary's womb. That's the main focus of her joy. Do you see that? Not circumstances which can change, but Jesus Christ. He's the focus of this joy for Elizabeth, but also for Mary. We could think, well, of course Mary's going to be full of joy. I mean, this young teenage girl, God has chosen her to give birth to the Messiah, promised for hundreds, thousands of years, who is fully man and in her womb fully God, who would save people from their sins. Of course Mary's rejoicing that God chose her for that incredibly honored position, and that, of course, did give her joy. But that's not mostly the focus of her joy, because look at what she says in verse 47. This is Mary speaking. And my spirit rejoices in, in what? God, my Savior. God, my Savior, sending Jesus. The Messiah is here. It's Jesus who most of her joy was focused upon in. Now, this is good news for us, church. Oh, friends, I want you to get this. This has changed my life, needs to change my life more, needs to change all of our lives. What this means is that the joy Jesus gives does not depend on circumstances. The joy Jesus gives can overcome any circumstances. It can overcome the frustration of Christmas busyness. It can, okay? It can. It can overcome the fear and insecurity of having just lost your job. Jesus can overcome and fill you with joy. Jesus can overcome the, the pain and the frustration of injustice and unfairness in the workplace. Jesus' joy can overcome any circumstance. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Oh, we've got to hear this. I'm sure some of you are weighed down by circumstances this morning. And we all get that. Circumstances can be hard, but Jesus' joy can overcome what's happening in your heart regarding those circumstances and fill you with real feeling of delight and happiness in him. That's what he can do. Third truth I got from these verses about joy. This joy is not stirred up by us. It is given by the Holy Spirit. Now, too often we think, okay, I'm lacking joy. I've got to stir this joy up. I've got to, I've got to think positive. I've got to count my blessings. I've got to try to feel happy. It's not what the Bible teaches at all. Look at verses 41 and 42. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth's joy comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit 
fills her, and she is rejoicing. That's what happens. The Holy Spirit fills her, and he helps her to see the truth of God in Christ more clearly and feel the truth of God in Christ more deeply, and this fills her with joy, so she bursts out, blessed are you among women. What a merciful God to let you give birth to the Messiah. What an amazing God, and then she says, blessed is the fruit of your womb. What a glorious Savior, what a, what a wonderful Messiah we have. So the Holy Spirit has filled her, She's seeing the truth of God in Christ more clearly. She's feeling the truth of God in Christ more deeply, and she's overflowing with joy as a result. So this joy is given to us supernaturally as a gift of the Holy Spirit. Now some people conclude from that that therefore what we do is we we just wait. And wait and wait, what's on Netflix, wait, I wait for the joy to come. It's not what the Bible teaches though. There is something that we do, that as we do it, the Holy Spirit will move in upon us in his perfect time and in his perfect way and and fill us with this joy. So what is it that we do? This is the fourth truth. The Holy Spirit gives us this joy as we trust God's word. Verse 45, Elizabeth's talking, and she says, and blessed, it's the word happy, is she, speaking of Mary, who believed. So happy is Mary who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary believed God's word. And as she believed God's word, the Holy Spirit then helped her to see the truth of God's word, feel the truth of God's word, and she was filled with joy in God, her her Messiah. It's crucial that we understand this. When we lack joy, I've always seen this to be true for me. I think the Bible teaches it. When we lack joy, it's because there's something in God's word we're not believing. There's some promise we're not believing, some teaching in God's word that we're not believing. I've seen that every time in in, in my life. It's like when when faith grows in God's word, joy grows. And when faith diminishes in God's word, joy diminishes. When faith in God's word grows, this is joy over here, joy grows. When our faith diminishes in God's word, our joy diminishes. So when we're lacking joy, it's not a matter of trying to be positive, trying to grit our teeth and feel happy, trying to look on the bright side. It's what am I not believing? It's sitting down, at maybe your kitchen table or sitting down you know, on, on your couch and taking time to pray and ask God, Lord, show me what I'm not believing. Strengthen my faith. Help me here. Look at my heart. There's no joy in you there. I'm not seeing your word. I'm not believing your word. And then we open up the Bible and we, we read. We read lots of Bible. Bible, Bible, Bible. We read lots of Bible. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So we read, read lots of Bible. So we're praying over the scriptures. We're reading the scriptures. We're believing the scriptures. We're, we're thinking over the scriptures. We're asking God to help us to believe more. We're praying some more. We're reading some more. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit will move in upon us with his supernatural power 
and he will help us to see the truth of the Bible more clearly and feel the truth of the Bible more deeply and we will be filled with joy as a result. It's a gift that God gives mercifully and graciously as we believe God's word. Now, at this point, some of you might be thinking, okay, a lot of talk about feelings here this morning. I'm not really a feeling guy. I'm, 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 like, I'm like right brain. Feeling, that's for all for the left brain people, you know, the, the poets and the artists, you know. Um, that's, just, that's not me, you might be thinking. Um, I'm definitely a right brain guy. Just tell me what to do. Just give me something to do, all right? I don't think feelings are that important. Hmm, okay. Luke would lovingly disagree with you. And the reason is because, well, let's ask this next question. Why is joy in Christ so important? And Luke answers in what he quotes Mary as saying in verses 46 and 47. Here's what Mary said. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now let me explain what she's saying here. It's not that magnifying the Lord and rejoicing the Lord are two separate things. That sometimes she does a little bit of magnifying the Lord, then she stops that and does some rejoicing the Lord. What she's saying is that these are two, two it's the same thing. The, the way she magnifies the Lord is by rejoicing in the Lord. And that when she rejoices in the Lord, the result is she magnifies the Lord. They, they go together. And see, that's one reason that joy in Christ is so important. It's because our joy in Christ is one of the most powerful ways we can magnify Christ. God's purpose in the universe is to display his glory in Jesus forever. He wants to magnify his glory in Christ. That's God's purpose, and that's his purpose because that's our highest joy. Your greatest joy more than anything else is to see God's glory in Christ magnified. The more you see his glory, the more his glory is displayed and magnified, the more full of joy you are. And so in love, God has that be his purpose to magnify his glory in Christ. That's where all of world history is going. Everything God is sovereignly ordaining, the, the good things, the hard things, but everything is under God's control to move towards the magnifying of his glory in Christ. And so what we need to do is to line our lives up with that purpose. If everything is going towards magnifying God's glory in Christ like, like a big steamroller, you don't want to stand against that and just say, uh-uh. It will flatten you. I mean that Deadly serious. Line your life up. This is where history is going, and it is for your greatest joy. Humble yourself, trust Jesus, and, and line your life up with the purpose of magnifying Christ. And there's lots of ways we can magnify Christ, but crucial to all of them, and one of the most important of them, is rejoicing in the Lord. That's what Luke wants to teach us here. That's why joy is so central all through the Bible. You know, joy is commanded in the Bible. You, you've, you've read that, right? 
Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord. Jesus in Luke chapter six, he says, leap for joy because of the reward in heaven that's gonna be yours in Christ. Paul in Philippians 3.1, rejoice in the Lord always. So see, joy in Christ is not icing on the cake of the Christian life. It is the cake. It is the cake. It's, it's the heart of what this is. Why? Well, because it's right, first of all, God is all glorious in Christ. God in Christ is the most infinite beauty and reality in the universe. He is our all-satisfying treasure. Everything else just pales away, slinks away in shame in any kind of trying to compare with, with him. So it's right, and also because the more we rejoice in the Lord, the more we magnify the Lord. When I was in university, I, I took my parents out to dinner one night at Mihadi's Mexican restaurant, one of my favorite Southern California Mexican restaurants. Um, but the reason I took them there was I wanted to tell them about a young lady I'd met at university, Jan Vota. And uh, my, my goal was to tell them about that so they would be excited about this. And, and as I described Jan to her, um, I had such joy just because of who Jan was and is that, that they, they could tell she must be an amazing young lady. And I said, she is because I was so full of joy as I described her. So my joy in Jan magnified Jan to, to my parents. I think of how different it would have been if I would have said, you know, I, I'm sitting there eating dinner and they say, have you met anybody? Met anybody? Yeah, kinda. What's she like? Ah, she's okay. I mean, you know, whatever. Well, see, that would have been wrong because that's just not at all who Jan was and is, and because it would have dishonored her. It would not have magnified her. What does your heart say about God in Christ? If you could like attach a little feeling meter to your heart, registering, you know, what you have the most joy in. You know, where, where does God rank on that? Is he like, or wait, 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 oh wow, wow, wait, down here? I mean, where, where does God rank on, on your on the feeling meter of your heart. Now, now, we all, to be honest, there's times where we are all over the map, right? I am, you are, we all are. But let's be honest, where are we? How often are we delighting and rejoicing the most with feeling of delight and happiness in God, in Christ? The sheer glory and majesty and beauty of who God is in Christ. That's what magnifies God in Christ. That's why joy in Christ is so important. The more we rejoice in Jesus, the more we magnify Jesus to those around us. So there's four truths about this kind of joy that Jesus Christ gives us. Now, how can we grow in this joy? How can we grow in rejoicing in God our Savior. And Luke answers that, I think, in verses 48 through 55 in Mary's speech here, prayer here, praise here. But to lead up to see that, I want you to read verses 46 and 47 first. Verse 46, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Verse 47, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And now get this next word, for or because 
or here's the reason why I've got this joy, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. So what that word for shows is that the next verses, Mary is giving reasons for why she is feeling this joy in the Lord. Joy in the Lord doesn't come out of nowhere. It's based on truth that we see, that we read, that we feel, that we understand. And so the truths are laid out in verses 48 through 55. And I would summarize what's happening in those verses. The reason Mary has such joy in the Lord is because she sees the glory of God's mercy, which is hers in Jesus Christ. That's what she describes in verses 48 through, what was it, 55. The glory of God's mercy, which is hers and ours in Jesus Christ. And as I studied these verses, I saw three truths about God's mercy, about the glory of God's mercy, which is ours in Christ. Three truths about God's glorious mercy. The first truth is this. God's mercy does great things for the undeserving. Great things for the undeserving. Look at verses 48 through 50. And Mary said, I'll start verse 46 again just to build up to it. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? For, because... He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. But this isn't just for me. Verse 50, and his mercy. He's showed me mercy. But verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Let me explain what's going on here. Mary says, God has looked upon my humble estate. Mary knows she's not deserving of anything good from God. She deserves nothing good from God. And it's not just that she's a young teenage girl. That's a small part of the factor. But see, Mary has read her Bible. She knows what the Bible teaches. She knows she has sinned against God. She knows she deserves only punishment from God. That's the main emphasis of this humble estate that's being described here. And yet, even though she knows she's sinned against God and deserves only punishment from God, God has done great things for her. Not only will she give birth to the Messiah, surely that's one of the great things that she's thinking about here, but even more important, far more important, he has saved her through what the Messiah would do on the cross. And it's not just that God has done this for Mary. She says his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, verse 50. Now let's just talk for a moment about what does it mean to fear him? What is the fear of God? I would encourage you to do a study Type in fear, type in God, or type in the Lord, and, and, and look at all the different descriptions. The fear of God is a broad term covering, covering lots of ground. It does not mean cringing or running from God. That's not the fear of God. Let me put it this way. The fear of God means, first of all, seeing his infinite power and perfect justice an astonishing mercy, seeing and, and trembling at his 
infinite power created the universe and his perfect justice and his abounding mercy. God is so amazing. You see and you tremble at the reality of God. That's part of the fear of the Lord. And then seeing that, understanding then secondly, that if I turn from him, if I, if I keep turning from him, I will be punished forever. But if I turn to him and trust Christ, I'll be forgiven, I'll be changed, I'll be satisfied. And so you're seeing who God is, you're understanding that huge things are at stake in how I respond to him. So you see, you understand, and then finally third, you turn. Humbly, you trust him. You trust in the Messiah. All of that is encompassed in the, in the fear of the Lord, and God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So Mary's not just celebrating the great things God has done for her, she's celebrating the great things God will do for anyone, as undeserving as we are, who will turn to him and trust him. Now this is shocking when you think about how this compares to what every other religion teaches in the world. All other religions have a different message, a starkly different message, a black and white different message, because every other religion says that to get good things from God, you need to become good enough to match up to what his standards are. And so we're trying to become good enough, we're trying to get good enough here, good enough here, good enough here, but let me tell you, that is hopeless for two reasons. One is you can't. Have you, have you tried, I mean, I challenge you, try to go five minutes without sinning. No, no sinful thoughts, no sinful attitudes in your heart, just try it. And if you're asleep, it doesn't count, okay? You got five minutes of being conscious and see, we cannot do it. So we can't do it, first of all, let alone the rest of your life. But the second reason it's impossible is because even if we could, what about the past sins that you still are guilty for before a perfectly just God? It is hopeless. And it, when you see that that is hopeless, you'll see that it is really hopeful. Because God does not say that that's how you come into his good graces. The way you come to be on good terms before God, even though we are sinful people, is to humble ourselves before him and to trust his gift of the Messiah who died to be punished in our place for our sins. And Jesus promises that when you trust him, you will be completely forgiven for all of your sins, past sins, present sins, future sins, and that he, by his power, will start to change you so you will become more and more righteous and more and more good and more and more loving and more and more holy. By his power, you will, he will change you. You'll be forgiven, you'll be changed, and he will fill you with joy. You will have times when you are so full of his love, his reality, his glory, that you are completely satisfied and you don't need anything else because you have God and Jesus your savior. And that's what God does. His mercy means he does amazing good for undeserving people and there's no one like our God and his son, Jesus. That's the first truth about God's mercy. And when you see that about God, that he loves to do amazing things for undeserving people, that is so beautiful, that is so glorious. I, I've used an illustration before. Think about American football 
bear with me, okay? So think about this big football player, okay? And, and he's, maybe the game is over, he's coming off the field, and, and in the stands he sees this, this little, like a little five-year-old boy. And he walks over to this little five-year-old boy, and, and he just picks up and he says, so glad you're here at this game. Now, now the contrast of this big football player, big, I mean, let's say he scored touchdowns, let's say he was the, the, the got the game ball, and him picking up this, this little five-year-old boy, the, the mercy of that, the benevolence of that, the love of that, doesn't that, I mean, just, it stirs all of our hearts. There's something beautiful about that. Do you get that? That's, that's a glorious picture. Well, God is infinitely bigger than that, and we are infinitely smaller and less deserving than that, and he does amazing good for us, and that's this, the glory of his mercy, doing incredible good for unworthy, undeserving people. Second truth about God's mercy, it brings down the proud and mighty. Verses 51 in the first half of 52, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. This is sobering. Let's make sure that we are not trying to be proud or mighty. Truth is, everything we have is a gift from God. How did you get here? You didn't do anything to get here. Your life is a sheer gift from God and everything else you have, every ability, every motivation, it's all a gift from God. So let's make sure we're not proud and mighty. But also, let this comfort you when you see injustice in the world. When you see oppression in the world. When you read about the Rohingya people who are being killed. The Uyghurs in northwest China. When you read about sex trafficking and horrifying things that happen to people. And it can break your heart, and it should. But that's not going to happen forever. Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, is going to return, and he will scatter the proud and bring down the mighty, and the new heavens and the new earth will be filled with righteousness and justice and peace, and oppression and suffering will be over. Now, there will be suffering eternally in hell, but there will be no injustice ever again. So don't be hopeless. God's mercy brings down the proud and mighty. Third, God's mercy exalts and fills and helps the humble. Second half of verse 22 through the end of verse 55, he has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. This is all mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is all because Jesus was punished for our sins in our place. Because you're trusting Jesus, his death paid for all of your sins and so God can exalt those who humble themselves before him. God can fill the hungry with good things. God can help his servant Israel Israel, which means his people, the nation of Israel, but the New Testament teaches that we by faith are joined into Israel, so it includes all of us who are trusting Christ. That's what God does. He exalts, he fills, he helps the humble. 
So picture a, a beggar, dirty, filthy, hungry, tattered clothes, a beggar. And then picture a king, noble, majestic, strong, powerful, coming to that beggar and saying, I want you to come with me, I'm adopting you. And takes the beggar into the palace. The beggar's all cleaned up. The beggar's exalted with these royal robes. And the beggar is sitting at the king's banquet table with the king, feasting on the king's food. That's what God's mercy does for us. Exalts us as lowly and as undeserving as we've been, fills the hungry with good things, helps the humble. That's what God's mercy does for us. And so the way to grow in joy in God is by seeing the beauty of God's glorious mercy in Christ seeing that God's mercy does great things for the undeserving, brings down the proud and the mighty, exalts, fills, and helps the humble. Here's what I want to call you to do. This week, this afternoon, tomorrow, try to get regular time, daily, just set everything else aside, confess your sins before the Father, forgive me for this and this, Trust Jesus' death. Let that assure you of forgiveness for those sins. And then open up your Bible. Ask God to help you. Meet me. Strengthen my faith. Show me your glory. Fill me with joy in you. And read about God's mercy in Christ, which is what's on every page of the Bible. As we do that, God will meet us. He will meet you. You're, you're putting everything else aside. Your phone's turned off. Social media gone. Everything's quiet. This is just you and him. He will strengthen your faith. He promises. He will fill you with his Holy Spirit. He will show you more dimensions of his glorious mercy in Christ. And he will fill you with joy in God, your Savior. That's what the Christmas season is all about. That's what Jesus came to earth to give to us. So let's be pursuing that this Christmas season. Let's stand. I want to pray. I ask, Lord, that you would use your word to give faith to some here who've maybe never put their trust in Christ and that right now they would trust Christ. They would see the glory, the beauty, the mercy, the majesty of the God-man, Jesus, coming to die on the cross to pay for the sins of all who will trust him. Lord, give people faith right now to trust Jesus Christ and be saved, be forgiven, start to be changed and to be filled. Lord, do that right now, I pray by your power. I pray that you'd strengthen the faith of those who are going through trials, those who have felt distant from you, those who are being tempted. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen faith throughout this room right now, and that as our faith in Jesus Christ is strengthened, that joy would come, that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit, fill us with your spirit, 
Give us refreshed joy in Christ our Savior, I pray. In Jesus' name.